Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to discuss the offense from this win over the Lions. Exciting time to talk about both sides of the football here as, as Ravens fans uh, coming off a big win, one of the biggest in uh, probably a couple of years now for the Ravens in terms of a, a one-sided uh, uh, statement game. Last year against the Chargers comes to mind as a, as a similar game in 2021 against the Colts. Uh, but here to join me and talk about that is Brandon Croxton. Brandon, how you doing? Hey, Ken. Always glad to be here. Yeah, always always a lot of fun to have you on, Brandon. Lots of football knowledge from playing the game and certainly years of watching the Ravens as well. Uh, what did you take from this game for starters in terms of, of what's really portable in terms of, of what impacts or, 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 or 
gives you good positive feelings about the rest of the season? Sure. I think number one for me is um, we we they showed the potent the potential of this team as really being as good a team as any in the NFL. Um, the defense has played spectacular all season, and this was our first taste of the offense clicking on all cylinders and they were excellent. Um, they drove the ball with ease, um, lots of big plays all over the field and Lamar spreading the ball around to just a ton of different weapons. It's not like he was just going towards Andrews and flowers. He got the ball to all of his major weapons and, um, it was, just in, incredible game to watch. Very fun. Very, very fun to watch. Definitely a lot of fun. It's in a ways it's a game that is a lot very hard to find flaws from. I think Harbaugh's got kind of a measured approach after the game of saying, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna worry about Arizona now." That's the, that's the next thing, and it's really the appropriate thing to do. Allowing your team to get too high off this win would be you know counterproductive. I think in terms of they've got still a, a game they need to play and they very badly need to win this game at Arizona, given the strength of the schedule the rest of the way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, eight, uh, out of their 10 opponents, eight of them are 500 or better. So it's a it's a tough road. Um, and the challenge this week is just to stay focused. Um, you know, all, all the media is sending all the flowers, giving all giving all the praises and just don't believe your hype. Keep uh, keep focused and keep grinding and keep working on ways to improve all season. Yeah. You're you made it. Sorry about that. One thing I was very excited about was how the offense created space in this game. I thought they did a better job than they had in the past. I thought they got flowers down the field more than they had in previous games and probably got some safety attention from that. Uh, in terms of getting some players behind the defense, even in some unexpected ways with Andrews and Edwards on the right side, just getting behind some very shallow um, defenses there did an impressive job. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, I think one of my criticisms all season uh, about the offense was uh, they really did not attack the middle, uh, the intermediate part of the field in the passing game. Um, that 10 to 20 yard space, um, they they just weren't attacking uh, for most of the season. So I have a, I have a couple of stats here. So, um, you know, before this game, uh, they they attacked. Uh, Short, 10 yards or shorter, 115 times, um, 10, between 10 and 20 yards, 37 times, and 20 yards or more downfield, 21 times. And a lot of their um, a, lo- a lot of their intermediate passes were kind of all script, was Lamar escaping the pocket and then finding a receiver down, down, downfield. Um, and not a lot of you know, kind of scripted plays or design plays to to attack that field. Um, on Sunday, they had uh, they completed eight of nine passes in that intermediate zone, um, and most of them were uh, design design plays, not not improv plays. Okay, so the, you're talking a dot of ten plus yards. You're talking about there, right? When you talk, not not the total yards on the play, right? 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that area of the field, uh, 10 to 20 yards down the field. So basically the area behind the linebackers in front of the safeties, that, yep. that area of the field. Yeah. Love that area. That's right. That's for sure. It's, it's a great uh, area to be in. <laughs> yeah. uh, there, there was certainly a lot of throwing there. I, I thought there was a lot of creativity that got Lamar to some of those throws. And obviously the, 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 the standard bearer for those throws was the throw to Aguilar. Um, that was well done the field. But Lamar was terrific under pressure in this game. We're going to get to that. Um, in fact, he was unbelievable under the pressure. It's one of the most impressive single individual game statistics I've ever seen, how he played that way. Um, so I, I do think you know some of that was probably a little bit off script. Um, and some of it was just an extended script in terms of the play had more time to develop, maybe to become something good, like the, the long play to Flowers, was in that category in terms of, of it took a long time for that play to develop for about four or four and a half seconds uh, for him to get that throw off uh, to flowers for uh, that went up the middle flowers was no one was anywhere close to him. And then he had 20 yards roughly after the catch. Right. Exactly. Like the offensive line held up great. And uh, on that play um, for like you were saying, four to five seconds for the play to develop and uh there's one guy that finally broke through, but he didn't even get into uh, Lamar's throwing area by the time he let the ball go. So it was a great job by the offensive line to to give them the time to attack that middle of the field because they they really tore them up over over the intermediate zones today. All right. All right, Shimber, we're going to come back to a lot of that, I'm sure, later and when we talk about Lamar. But also some players got back on track in this game. I, 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 the guy I'm really excited, honestly, to see back on track is Bateman, who had two big first down catches when they really needed it from him and uh, did allow a third ball to kind of get away from him. He lost the tracking on the ball down that left sideline, which was unfortunate. But I thought him being reintegrated in the offense the way he was was very positive. So important to get him involved in the offense. Um, he can really, uh, if you, if you're focused too much on Andrews and Flowers, he's a, really a guy that can exploit one to one matchups against you know lesser cornerbacks. And mm-hmm. he's you know he's a perfect guy to attack the middle of the field, that intermediate zone. He can even get deep on players. Um, so yeah, it's it's exciting. He's a really good route runner. Yeah. I'm very, very excited about that, too. You do kind of need to have good offensive line play. The Ravens, I think, for the most part, they had it. They gave Lamar pretty good amount of time in this game. I'm not as high on the offensive line play. We'll get to this in the second half as uh, PFF is, say, because I think the holding calls are actually pretty costly. But just qualitatively, they did some things that I think bear a lot of positive portent for the rest of the season. Um, as opposed to um, really scoring highly in this game, which a couple of them did, but but others did not. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, you know, one thing we've been talking about all year, and in fact, probably all offseason, is trying to get some of the younger players uh, at least a series or so at the end of a blowout game. And you, know, you always talk about this as being a possibility. This was the, one of the first opportunities to do it. You know, they they got they got on pretty much everybody on the roster onto the field at some point during this game. Yeah, it's 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 always good to see get everybody gets uh, get a few reps. Um, Keith Mitchell got in earlier in the game, and it was good to see him earlier. But um, it, yeah, it's important to get your young guys some some reps and give them some experience. Um, 
yeah, we'd, we'd like to see, you know, likely and Kolar get a little bit more involved in the passing game, mm-hmm. but at least they're in there doing their job, at least uh, on run, run plays. Yeah. Yeah, that is one of the kind of the unfortunate things is that is that we've got some players who have kind of been forgotten in the offense now, and I, I don't know how they're going to get those guys back in the offense. So likely Kohler or DuVernay uh, didn't have a target again this week, and, and it's been a while. Um, likely has not had a target now in four weeks, I believe. I don't know when Kolar's last target was. I guess I should kind of look this stuff up as I'm saying it. But um, And DuVernay, I think it might have been three weeks for him since his last target. He might have had might have had one um, against the Steelers. Yes, I think he did, where they might have even classified it as a drop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I feel uh, Kolar had that big drop, I think, in the Indianapolis game, and mm-hmm. we haven't heard much from him at all since then. And likely, um, yeah, who, who I really like and I think is, you know, really kind of needs to get back involved in the offense as a second tight end. Um, when you're in kind of those rundowns, he can be a nice play-action you know, thread over the middle and things like that to open up, uh, open up when you're, you know, in a 12 personnel or, or, you know, have even, you know, a big, big personnel setting, but yeah, it's, it'd be nice to see them more involved in the offense. It's uh, in, in the case of, I I think I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure that I heard you correctly here, but, but likely was the one who had a big drop against Indianapolis and that, he had two targets in that game. One was for 20 yards and it was a good play. And it was, you know, he was, he was uh, after the game, he had caught three or four balls, but the other drop was very costly towards the end of the game, cost him a drive uh, on, on third down. And ultimately it probably cost him the ball game. If they catch, if he catches that ball, they, they, they win it. But uh, Kolar has not had a target since week one. And that's when Andrews was hurt. Oh. I thought he had a, I thought he had a target that in week two. That was the two. drop he had. Okay, that was the drop he had in week one. Then, yeah. All right. And then Duvernay had had uh, one target against Pittsburgh, uh, dropped, and he's only caught two of seven balls for eight yards on the season. He only had nine nine snaps in this last game, so um, he's almost reverted to being completely a uh, return man at this point. Not that he's been bad at that or anything, but uh, that's not a broad enough usage, in my opinion, to to make it worth make him worthwhile at four million dollars, four point three, right? Sure. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, uh, They've really gone away from kind of the gadget plays a lot in the last few weeks. And Mm -hmm. um, you'd like to see that more. I mean, you know, maybe they're saving it for, you know, the the uh, the FC North games or some of their bigger games and get, get them involved. But, yeah, they need to try to find ways to keep them motivated and keep them involved in the offense. So you mentioned the gadget plays. I did want to hit on that. One of the things I really liked about this game was the fact they got their three, sorry, not their three, three of their four speed guys involved in the offense at the, in the same game. They really hadn't done that yet. So to my way of thinking, they're still using too much orbit motion, jet motion, et cetera, with flowers and not focusing him on being a receiver. All right. But they did use Keaton Mitchell in for two plays as a, 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 Pony backfield both times, which I believe that's the first usage of the year for them, a pony backfield. And, uh, you know, the second time he got a nice shovel pass going forward. That's exactly the kind of role I love for Keaton Mitchell. 
absolutely love it. Um, it it yeah. makes him extremely uh, valuable. And then, of course, they had Justice Hill in the game, and he was deadly when he had the football in his hands if he could keep it there. <laughs> yes. That's, <laughs> that's the one thing about this team is they are putting the ball on the ground way too much. Um, I've, they've pretty much lost a fumble every game this season, and it's it, it's something that has to be fixed going into the second half of the season and into the playoffs because – it's going to cost them a game at some point. What, what, what was your thought on the fumble? It was ultimately called to Jackson, and this happens when there's a fumble on the exchange. It goes to the quarterback unless the running back has clearly you know, received the football. What it looked like to me was that he was all the way in the mesh point, and Jackson tried to pull it out to run it himself, and Hill didn't let it go. Yes, that's that's what it looked like. Um, either Lamar wasn't pulling hard enough, or uh, Justice Hill um, was holding on too tight, and um, and it just popped out, popped right out. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. you know, Mark Ingram was the was kind of the master in terms of since they've been running mesh plays of really knowing how to do it right, and obviously had his other limitations as a running back, but he but he was. Hella good enough in 2019, at least we can say that. Mm-hmm. But but when the ball was in the mesh point, he always said, pull it out as late as you want. Just pull it out hard when you do. As long as your hand's in there, he knows that cage has to be just a little bit loose for him to let go of that football. And, um, uh, you know, they had a they had a really good rapport going with that. It wasn't as well done in 2018 with Edwards when the ball was on the ground a lot that year as well. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, hopefully, you know. Justice Hill's been long enough and he's important enough of a weapon for the offense that this doesn't, you know, hold back his carries at all. And, uh, you know, they just continue to work on it and just improve. At this point, I don't see how it could because the the Ravens don't have anybody else. So it's it's Edwards and then uh, Hill and Mitchell and Mitchell looks like he's hurt again now. So they may even have a practice squad signing or some such they have to do. They might re-sign Kenya Drake, I suppose, because he has practice squad elevations left on the season so far. But Gordon's sitting on the practice squad, doesn't have any elevations left. And I don't see any way, unless there's some injury I don't know about, that they're going to put Gordon on the roster to fill that last spot. So I think they they sign a guy to the practice squad and elevate him. Could even be Owen Wright gets a chance um, this week. But I still think that means Hill is going to get a, a, a very high portion of playing time despite the fumble. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, the Ravens outsnapped in this game 72-55, which would, would, on, on the surface is quite bad that they would, you know, allow their defense to kind of be worked. And it's a, a, a remarkable reversal from early in the game because after that fourth touchdown, they're up 28 nothing. They've had the ball four times, and they led in snaps 32-9. to In fact, the, the Lions had been nine and out to that point in, in three uh, drives. And from that point forward, the, the Ravens are out snapped 63 to 23 the rest of the way, which is an unbelievable one-sided um, uh, snap uh, uh, total. But when you look at it, a lot of that has to do with how often the Lions went for it on fourth down because that added about six plays right there. And then uh, the subsequent plays after the fourth downs, which added some plays. And then, of course, the fact that they had the ball at that point during the half and and almost to the end of the half. And then they had the ball first in the second half. And then 
basically to, to, towards the end of the game as well. In fact, they did have it all the way to the end of the game. So they kind of had a first and last effect at the end of each half from from that point. Then it seems maybe not quite as bad, but it still seems a little bit bad to get outsnapped by that and, and put that kind of a load on your defense. Yeah. Well, the Ravens were playing CFL ball um, for the whole first half. Uh, all four of their drives were longer drives and – it was seven, eleven, eight, and six, six, uh, six play scoring drives. Like when when you're scoring that fast, it's easy to, you know, be out snapped. But if you're getting first downs and two downs instead of three, and you're moving the ball and making big plays, it's it's a it's a heck of a trade off. <laughs> You, I was going to ask you what CFL people. ball was, but you never go to yeah. third. You basically never get the third down because that's punting time. Right, yeah, let's get okay. plenty down in third NCFL. There you go. So yeah, you got to get that first in two. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Um, uh, they went five of six in the red zone in this game. They're now nineteen of thirty the season. I'm I'm going in this manic depressive sine curve of a uh, set of feelings, roller coaster if you want to call it that, of of just being very sad or very happy about what's going on with the Ravens in their red zone offense. But they're now 19 of 30 on the season, 63.3%, 7th in the NFL. Um, in the median's at 54.2. The 2022 Ravens were at 44.4%. I, I don't think we can be too unhappy about this, number one. And I also, I kind of feel like this is a sustainable level where the previous level at 80% clearly was not. Sure, absolutely. Like it's it's going to ebb and flow every, every now and then. But I think at the end of the day, if you're going to be in the 60s or even get to 70% um, in, in the red zone, you're, you're going to be scoring a, a lot of points. And this team's going to be winning a lot of games because the way the defense is playing, getting to 21 is – you know, is going to ensure a lot of wins for this team. So, yeah, if if you're able to just convert in the play in the red zone, get get those touchdowns, it, it's going to be it's going to be huge. Yep, absolutely. The other the other big improvement in this game was in series success rate, and that's the percentage of time that you get a first down or a touchdown after each succeeding first down. So, with each additional first down you get anywhere in a drive. Did you then extend the drive by either a, a first down or, or ultimately score a touchdown? And they were 23 of 28 in this game. They only went four of eight on third down, much to your points about uh, the CFL ball. They didn't have a whole lot of third downs in this game. Um, they, they were four of eight on third down. They also had a turnover, which which is a it's just a loss there. But, but 23 out of 28, 82% uh, of the time. That's an extraordinary number. The 2019 Ravens, I believe, were at 79% for the entire season which is an, a historic number in terms of the thing. If the Ravens could be in the mid-70s, it'd be fantastic. But they, they'd had a, a four-week stretch between weeks three and six where they were down right around 69% over a four-week period. It's very consistent. It was all like between 67 and 70% over that period. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, they were cooking on all cylinders. They were running the ball well, passing it well, the – Lions were off balance. It, it's it's what you want to see, and you know, hopefully, they can continue the success that they had because they were they were just in the zone. Yeah. 
we had, uh, okay, so I'll tell a little story here. Five big offensive flags, first of all, on the Ravens in this game, including three holding calls. Um, they had an offensive pass interference, which was coincident to an end of a drive, so it was declined, but obviously shows the the importance of not getting flagged. Is, is Had it been a they gave the the defense the option to decline that flag, and so it wasn't just ten yards; it was ten yards or worse, which the or worse is what they took. Um, and then they had a had one other foul. What was it? It was uh, oh, now I'm forgetting here. Intentional grounding, the intentional grounding, which was offset by a a, a defensive flag, defense holding or illegal contact or whatever it was. Illegal contact, yeah, yeah. So. The point I was making here is that they only had one of those five um, penalties that actually stalled a drive, and that was one of Stanley's two holding calls. So they did a good job of, of digging themselves out of holes on two holding calls and, and obviously having an offset and, a, and a already at the end of the drive on, a, on a, another flag. We had a, a group of Lions fans sitting behind us, and – um, it was kind of amusing because the Ravens are are basically bullying the Lions down the field on those first four drives. And literally for the entire game, this guy had really remarkable stamina who was doing this, kept complaining about how the refs weren't making any holding calls against the Ravens. Well, first of all, they did call the, hold, the, the Ravens for, for holding three times in this game. And that's about as many as you'll ever get in a National Football League game. You, you, you typically aren't going to get five or six or seven holding calls. And, and, I think this gentleman had some misunderstanding about an offensive lineman's ability to hold within the frame, you know, hold to grab Jersey within the frame, which is allowed. Um, And uh, it it was a little strange, but, you know, part of me felt like turning to him and saying, you know, scoreboard scoreboard. And because, (laughs) you know, that's not what fueled this 35 to nothing lead right now, or this 28 to nothing lead. It's, it's all of the other ways that the Ravens are, are knocking the crap. And, And, was remarkable. They don't call holding. They just won't call holding. <laughs> it was yeah. hard to listen to for an, for an entire time, but it'd been a lot harder if the Ravens weren't winning the game. Yeah. Uh, that's asking for a bailout right there. They, he's, he's, <laughs> he's going to Congress asking for, you know, you asking for a bailout. That's yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, they, they they nice balance again between run and pass, and you know this is a this is one of the really odd things is there were times when the Roman offense had trouble with run pass balance. They weren't able to maintain it. It's usually a function of are you winning a football game, but they've done a remarkable job with with um, uh, Monken of maintaining more runs than pass, kind of week after week. Uh, and I know some of it is related to just how successful they've been, how they've generally dominated these games, even the ones they've lost to Pittsburgh and Indianapolis, how they've been in you know basically good position the, the entire game. But uh, they've really done a great job of still making the run an effective weapon, despite the fact a lot of it's out of eleven personnel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of curious. Did you um, about the breakdown and what happened in the first half as opposed to the second half. Cause it seemed like they were very pass heavy in the first half, um, wearing them down um, through the pass. And then in the second half, they seemed to convert to running more. Um, they still had a pretty good balance, I think in the first half, but I think it kind of evened out a little more on it. Right. So it was from scoring points to kind of grinding out 
I got the information here. It's it's 21 uh, passes out of 37 plays in the first half. So 21 and 16 in the first half. And so I think you're right. They um, were, you know, they had 12 runs and six passes in the second half. So that included time when, you know, a series with Huntley in there that was two and one and then all the other Lamar time. But they definitely they took their foot off the Lions throats a little bit in in that second half. And I I would have kind of liked to see him stick the foot in the gas because Lions were doing it to themselves. And one of the one of the interesting things about this game with all the fourth downs the Lions went for and they went for it six times, uh, actually seven because they had a penalty on fourth down that that took them from fourth and 15 where they went for it to fourth and 25, which is, Oh, that's too far now. We can't go for it now anymore. And they punted after all. It's just unbelievable. The distances they were going for. Um, but the Ravens never made them pay for that. Uh, you know, they, they, they lost the football. They, they hurt themselves in terms of maybe a few, three, couple, three point opportunities. If you're, if you're going for expected points instead of expected wins, but they really, um, uh, the Ravens didn't make them pay with a successor drive that was for a score with the exception of the 94 yard drive after they failed on fourth and six, fourth and goal from the six. And that, you know, if they kick the field goal, they're going to give them a better field position anyway. So I can't really call that a, you know, a, a field position failure for the lions. That was a defensive failure of, you know, they had great field position that they didn't take advantage of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, once they got to 35, they knew the game was over. The way the defense was playing, you, you don't you don't necessarily want to show all your cards when after the game is won. So just go ahead and run the ball, eat up clocks, don't get anybody hurt, don't show any don't show any new wrinkles to your offense that you haven't shown before. Just yeah, you're you're coming in very. Um bubbly or staticky, I will say. And and I think we need to fix your sound, Brandon, if we can. Um, but uh, hang with us. I'll start the next point and hopefully you can figure it out technically and we'll, uh, uh, we'll get right back. Um, uh, let's see. The, the Ravens in this game really only had one big gamble of their own and that came on the very first drive. They got down to fourth and one, uh, whatever it was, a seven-yard line or wherever they were. Uh, they they decided to go for it, which was good. It looked like a little bit of a long one. Harbaugh said in the post game show, one was their limit in terms of that. I don't know why, because you know it's a it's a big game against a quality opponent. You 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 should take more chances on fourth down under those circumstances, um, and be more sure that you don't leave points on the field when the game's tied. Anyway, and as long as the game is close, I, I guess I would add that in in the early part of it. But anyway, on fourth and one. Uh, Stanley had one of the great lead blocks of all time. In fact, I would say one of the greatest ever finishes now that he got away with it without a flag that I've ever seen from an offensive lineman. But the way he put that poor defensive back into the ground and pretty much if you've been on the field at M&T, there is a steep slope that you notice when you get behind the off of the football field and behind the goalpost where the, where the field drains, I assume, I assume that's what that's for. So the field is it's, you think of it as being this, you know, perfectly flat surface and on it's actually peaked and a lot of football fields are, but, but in, in the, uh, in the goalpost, in the goal behind the end zone in particular, there's a steep slope off and that's where you put him into the ground. It's like, that's driving him downhill and then you're falling on him and everything. 
I was actually surprised he did not get flagged for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Gronk calls that uh, throwing somebody out the club, and it's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much uh, what he did. Is he, he he just took him and just drove him all the way through. It, it's possible that he didn't hear the whistle, um, and that's why the. Let's rest, go with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He he didn't hear the whistle or the cheers of 70,000 fans for the touchdown that just been scored dramatically by Lamar, you know, prancing in. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but that was it's great to see him finish finish off anybody like that. That's that that puts a nice uh, exclamation point on a touchdown. Yeah, he talked about channeling in his inner Marshall Yonda, I believe, after the game. He knew he was in attendance yeah. there and, and uh, uh, exciting anyway to see Stanley put out a block like that. Stanley had, you know, I thought qualitatively a pretty good game. We're going to get to some of this later, but um, you had a couple of holding calls that really reduced his score, but I still think there's a lot positively we can take from this game that it, it was indicative of Stanley, hopefully playing at a, at a higher level the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he's getting better uh, since he's coming back. Uh, I've, I, like I thought he had a pretty solid game outside of the holds. Um, you know, like sometimes those holds can be a little unfortunate. Um, I know, so, you know, they they were one of them was definitely earned, um, mm-hmm. but it was uh, it, it it's just one of those things. Like he he can clean that up, and it's footwork, and just continuing to improve the footwork will reduce those holding holding penalties. Hopefully, yeah. right. There's still, you know, that's one of the things. I mean, he's lost a lot of his ability to anchor. Um, but the one thing that I haven't been concerned about, certainly since he's been back anyway, is his ability to mirror. He's still quite good at that, and he's still maintaining his position between the defender and Lamar. The problem is he's getting pushed right back into Lamar's lap uh, too often, and that's creating too many pressure events. He did allow one quarterback hit in this game, uh, was his only negative event. But but anyway, I thought I, there, there are things. We'll get to the offensive line in the second part of the show, but this is this, it was an exciting um, it was good to, good to see Stanley play as well as he did. I think they did some things to help him out on that side, um, which which was good, um, which were good, I, I, I should say. But um, uh, you know, John Simpson did some good things in terms of help blocks. I think John Simpson also, I was under the impression at the game and from looking at the video that was on the board that Simpson had been called for both of those holds that Stanley had been called Stanley. And one of them is very clear that, that Stanley had the hold. Another one, it looks like Simpson was at least equally guilty on. And it's the kind of thing he, he, he clearly got away with it. There's no need to have two holding flags on the, on the same um, uh, play, but sometimes they call a hold on two different players. Sometimes they'll, they'll say, Oh, holding numbers 76 and 79 on the offense kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's get back to the, some of the spacing and whatnot concerns. I thought one of the things I really appreciated was that Flowers, they got on some deeper routes in this game. And I won't, I, I'm not going to tell you that they're using the real vertical part of the tree for him because I don't think they are, but they got him in, in the intermediate levels and they got him, you know, down the field there a little bit where um, at least that's on tape now. And now they're, they're really have some things to worry advanced scouts and future defensive coordinators that they'll face to say, well, wait a minute, Zay Flowers needs to have safety attention because no one can stay with him after he makes one of his whip moves to get rid of them. Uh, I think you're on mute. 
I'm sorry. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Zay Zay is really dangerous with the ball in his hands after the catch and um, getting him in that intermediate zone where his shiftiness and he gets by one or two people, one safety, he could go for 50 yards. Mm-hmm. Um, it, he's so much more dangerous there than if he's catching a uh, wide receiver screen or something. And he's got five or six players, including. We're, you're, you're in and out on me here and I'm sorry about this. So hopefully you're, it's picking up on your end and this, when this goes back together, it'll, it'll sound right. But uh, uh, I, I can't hear you on, on all of this, but uh, it, 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 obviously what he's, what he's saying is that, that flowers is extremely uh, valuable to have in, in level two and, and very difficult to continue to be covered for an extended period of time, I think. Right. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Um, let's talk a little bit about Lamar in this game and what went well. Uh, a few things is interesting because the Lions tried multiple ways to deal with him in this game. And I think of the Lions as being primarily a four man rush team because their, their front four is so good, but they didn't hold themselves to that. They rushed five plus on 11 occasions. That's 41% of the time, uh, with Lamar in there. And on those plays, Lamar threw for 162 yards. That's 14.7 yards per play when the Lions rushed. When the Lions, you know, the, the common definition of blitzed him is that they rushed five plus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had a, they had a great plan um, for when the Lions were uh, pass rushing. Uh, The, the Lions had a great plan for when uh, they were pass rushing and when they were blitzing. Um, you could see Lamar was ready for it. He knew exactly where to go with the ball. Um, the the big cat play to Ricard was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think even the the 80 yarder to Gus was um, yeah. was a blitz as well. And he just knew just how to move. And Gus adjusted very well on on the on the play and. It was it was a huge play, and and it's great to see that he makes a team pay when they blitz him because there's been times in the past where he, he hasn't made teams pay. Yeah, very very much so. I I you know I really loved what Gus did on that play. I, I you know he credited Monken with design of that play, which it could be true, but I it from what it looked like in terms of Gus making additional space, Edwards looked like Mark Andrews on that play. You know, he he knew, here's the space over here. I'm going there. You go ahead and hit me. I trust you. And Lamar, you know, laid it out there. And Edwards caught the ball. And there's his, he is totally being pursued at that point. And, and it's much too late when two linemen are pursuing Gus Edwards. It took forever for that safety to get across the field. to, to And it looked, didn't look like he took a terrible angle. It just looked like it took forever for him to get across the field to, to try and make a play on Edwards. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody was on that side of the field. And that's what happens when you blitz. You, you're leaving a lot of space open. And if somebody gets behind that, it it can go for a long way. And Gus went for 80. That was yeah. a great play. Yeah. Sweet, sweet play. Three or four man rush against Lamar. 16 plays, 195 yards, 12.2 yards per pass per play. That's all the plays in there. So they, he was the 14.7 and five plus and 12.2 with three or four. It's, it's just a, one of these days where everything worked. And uh, 
I, I don't think it pays to be a bitter Lions fan today. I think, you know, it, 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 it pays to say, hope we see in the Super Bowl. I think it pays to say a lot of things, but, but it, I don't think it pays to say that Lamar Jackson got lucky, which I think I've seen, or Lamar Jackson, you know, had a, had a, um, you know, whatever he had a one in a million game or whatever you want to call it. And this, this is, this was vintage Lamar. This was Lamar at the best he's ever been for the Ravens. Um, he had a couple games in 2019, Miami and LA that were, were pretty much right on par uh, with this one, but I don't think he's really had many that are any better than this game. Yeah. I can't think of many that are any, any better than that. Like I think there's a season opener against Cleveland. Um, where he just tore tore them apart also. But mm-hmm. you know, when when you're seeing it when you're seeing him just act, act, throwing accurate, moving around, manipulating a defense with with his movements and how you know how he gets out of the pocket and just manipulate the, the entire defense. It's when he's doing that, he's he's as good as any quarterback in the league. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it, it certainly is a lot of fun, and and the extended plays were working like um, they rarely have, and they're working in the in the um, you brought a knife to a gunfight way um, with regard to the retaliatory value of them in this game. You know, oftentimes if it's a level zero dump off and the guy gets six yards and whatnot, you're really not making him pay for the fact you blitzed. But when you throw an intermediate route of some distance and get the ball in the hands of one of your speed guys, uh, like Flowers or, or Bateman or, or uh, even Edwards, you know, when he's got lots of space, um, you, you certainly have something. Mm-hmm. To me, this was the most impressive element of the game. This next one I'm going to mention is the division of ample time and space, ball out quick, and pressure opportunities. I just want to go through this with you really quick. He had ample time and space seven times in the game, which is not terrible. It's not great. 26% of the time he had he had a, at least a three-second pocket to work with. And there are a couple other instances among those seven where it would have been a three-second pocket, but he got rid of the ball somewhat before three seconds. Um, six of those seven were complete for 83 yards, 11.9 yards per pass play. No problem with that, by the way. That's a very good number. 10 is a, is a really good number. In fact, uh, 11.9 is that much better. He got rid of the ball quickly in this game. And this is maybe something that's that's ought to be baked into the blueprint going forward. Got rid of the ball quickly 10 times, 37% of the time. He went 6 of 10 on those for 50 yards. Now, usually with a ball out quick, you're trying to get a, get the ball away to, to fr- from the blitz. You maybe be reading hot uh, if, if the slot blitzes, for example, or trying to get the ball... Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply out into space on a slant or something if a linebacker is coming or it could be a reaction to the blitz but it, it normally it can pick up can pick up some yardage and if the guy breaks a tackle it can it can pick up some big plays um anyway six of ten for 50 yards 5.0 yards per play is is not ideal in in those kind of situations you would certainly hope for better and that's typically what the ravens defense has been holding opposing quarterbacks to when they're forcing them into this small ball passing game a lot of five yard throws a lot of a lot of this short stuff. So that was definitely the least impressive part 
of Jackson's day was those short passes. Mm -hmm. But I want to get into the most impressive part, which is the under pressure 10 times, 37% of the time also, obviously, that, that he was under pressure. He completed nine of 10 passes for 224 yards. That's 22.4 yards per play. That's one of the, the strangest numbers I've ever seen. Um, a 4.0 is a really good day of throwing under pressure. The Ravens have held some opposing quarterbacks to negative numbers under pressure this year, including, I think, a negative 2.3 from the Titans, I think it was. I think the Titans were minus 2.3 because they had a bunch of sacks in that game. But let me just tell you the yardage on each of those 10 plays. So completion for 16, for 20, for 12, a touchdown to Aguilar, for 20, 22, 28, an incomplete, 22, 4, and 80. That's in chronological order through the game. So pretty damn good under pressure there for Lamar. Right, exactly. Like uh, I think ESPN was saying that theirs was under duress. He had 246 yards under duress, and they said that was the most um, – any quarterback has ever had since 2009 when they first started tracking the stat. So, yeah, I mean, it's when, when you're just able to avoid pressure and move around the way he does and find some, find somebody and be prepared for when a team is blitzing you and know what you're doing. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's beautiful to watch. And yeah, like, I think also some credit goes to Munkin on that because a lot of the times they, they would fake a blocker like a tight end or mm -hmm. um, running back would fake a block um, and then go out on the pattern while the blitzer is coming through and Lamar, which is dump it over their head and they, they have nothing but space in front of them. So, yeah. That was like, like the Ricard play, for example, was yeah, like was the, one of those. Yeah. Exactly. yeah, that's a good example. I can I, I can see the one play. Then ESPN must have different from me, and that's the they have they had a twenty two yard ATS play, um, mm -hmm. where he he might have been under pressure at the time that that went off, but he had more than a three second pocket. Okay. Um, yeah. And so they probably included that in in with the with the under duress uh, uh, definition that they have. That's interesting. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, but incredible, play, incredible game, though. Absolutely. This is one of the numbers that kind of surprised me. His time to throw was still under three seconds at 2.98. And the only reason that surprised me is because he had nine seconds, roughly, on the touchdown pass to Aguilar. And he only had 27 throws in total. So if you have a nine-second throw, I think that's six seconds above three. So if I divide six seconds by 27 – I'm going to get something north of 0.2 seconds that, that gets added to his average. And so I'm a little surprised it wasn't over 2.98 for the game. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, they, they may have a cap on that. They may say, okay, if it's over five seconds, we're not going to include it in the, we're only going to include it as a five second play. We're not going to include it as a nine second play. And uh, anyway, that it, it I've seen some numbers in the mid threes, so I, I don't think they cap it like that. Um, it's just a matter of he, he certainly had some uh, had some ball out quick numbers that uh, that offset some of that. Right. Yeah. Uh, it was nice to see Lamar didn't have a lot of bad throws in this game. First of all, I, I don't remember a single throw where he put the ball in any jeopardy at all. Not a single throw. Yeah. yeah. Nope. Yeah. And. Um, if he had a bad throw or two, it was 
it's kind of a, a bad throw to Beckham where he, Beckham had to come back too much for the ball and it was it was you know thrown low and away and I, some of that may have been a protection component because it, uh, I, I don't think that was going to be a, a good play at that point with Beckham covered the way he was um, but anyway that that didn't um, work out and there were there were maybe one or so others where the ball was was slightly off target and generally short. Um, in a game where you're watching Jared Goff ground the ball so regularly on the other side, at the feet of his receivers, at the feet of himself, in the one case of the intentional grounding, um, it's nice to see Lamar basically just absolutely throwing darts down the field on, a, on what was actually a windy day. Right, yeah. Um, there was, like, he really, I think, had very good mechanics the entire game. Um, there was very little kind of throwing off his back foot. Um, you know, some of the things where, you know, sometimes he gets out of his mechanics, out of his throwing motion a little bit. He There was none of that, and he was just throwing darts, and he was using that arm strength because he, he, I think it's probably an underrated part of his game is how strong his arm is. Mm-hmm. And um, when he's stepping into throws and throwing with his whole body, he can really get good velocity and that can cut through the wind a lot, a lot better. Yep. Yeah. I, 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 I've felt throughout his career that Flacco was a more wind resistant quarterback. I think he really had a fastball that was, that was top end in terms of throwing right through the wind. Also through uh, Flacco threw a remarkably tight spiral. So he, he might've spun the ball at a higher rate that made it be a, a, you know, more, less affected by the wind. Um, uh, but I think Lamar probably has the stronger arm of the two, certainly in terms of lobbing long range artillery. Uh, he's had, he had some longer completions than Flacco ever had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. He's definitely up there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought that that the the Ravens clearly had space in level two, and we talked a little, a little bit on the Edwards throw. Um, but it, how much of of the extra space Lamar had to work with do you think was a, a manufactured by the fact that the Lions set extra pressure? So obviously, anytime you do that, anytime you set even one extra man, you're taking something away from your pass defense, and they did a fair amount of, of five plus man rush. Do you think that was a significant factor in the space or, or was there something about the way they were playing loose in the secondary, uh, particularly safety that was creating more space or something else? So I think they were playing very loose um, on the, on, on the back end. Um, that third and long uh, play to flowers where he ran a deep out. Um, the the cornerback was played eight yards off of him and, and bailed out um, very early on, on the route. Um, Same thing with uh, Bateman on one of, on his third down catch. Um, The, 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 uh, the cover guy was playing very loose coverage and Bateman had an easy catch um, or yeah, an easy catch for, for a first down. And yeah, like the, the Lions were trying not to get beat deep over the top while they're while they're blitzing or pr- putting pressure on, but they gave up a lot of uh, short shorter completions, and you know, as a result of that, and yeah, that's that's how they just kept giving up play after play. Yeah, yeah, I, I uh, as it is, looked like it really did look like the safeties were playing off, and in in particular in the. The early plate of flowers that went for 46 yards, where it was about a 20-yard 
ADOT, I'm going to say, roughly. And I, I didn't check to see exactly how far down his field. But he was well behind the linebackers, but also he's well in front of the safety. And the guy he'd lost was a, was a corner who was huffing and puffing for a while on that route, but then eventually, you know, Flowers flipped him and and left him completely in dust. It's, if if you if you went to camp at all this year, you saw him do that a number of times <laughs> to, to various Ravens <laughs> cornerbacks. And you wondered, you know, what's wrong with our cornerbacks? But also, you know, hey, we got this great weapon. Anyway, he he he, he came back to the middle of the field, caught the ball. There's nobody anywhere in the vicinity of him. And the thing that really struck me was was how deep the safeties were on that play maybe also in fear of flowers. And that might be some of the early evidence we've seen of flowers potential impact to create space and a little unusual in the fact that he's actually creating space in, um, you know, I guess you would call what they're doing kind of a, kind of a, a, a zone defense from that perspective, as opposed to creating it with a vertical where the responsibility is being passed from a corner to a safety in terms of, of coverage responsibility. Yeah. Also on that, um, two two defenders went. They were in his own coverage, and two defenders went with Andrews on that, and that's mm-hmm. what left uh, Flowers wide open. And it's and as soon as he caught it, he took off. But yeah, the the safeties were playing really far back on that play, and I and it's not sure exactly why, but yeah, it, mm-hmm. it's that was part of it too. Yeah. I, I've got to go back and now look at that play again and and uh, and and pick up on what you're what you're laying down there. But that was a that was a great one. Um, let's move on to some other skill position players. The 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 running back snap division, uh, thirty and thirty for Edwards and Hill. So they really they split it up. The Ravens had sixty offensive snaps as the game book counts them. So they, they you know they had fifty five plays that that they actually ran and I think it's fifty four after a kneel. So you can count the snaps a number of ways. But they had sixty two total running back snaps, including two by Mitchell, because those were both pony were were cases. And again, the Ravens have run almost a hundred percent single back sets and what they haven't had a single back on, they've had zero backs on. Uh, but in this game, it was it was uh, uh, two ponies, and and I believe the first two of the year, um, and Mitchell's first two NFL snaps. Nice, his second snap was actually the one where well, he came in on second. Let's see, he came in on second and twenty, and that was not where he got the football, right? Because he got he he got a nine yard pass on first and ten, I believe, where they got the spot wrong by a full yard. By the way. I mean, I, we, we looked at it in slow motion. You're like, okay, that's a first down. And, and you know, they marked it, like, you know, a yard short. And I know that's going to happen. I don't want to be the Detroit holding guy, you know, in a game that we wanted this great, but but a really bad spot anyway in that play. And it was very nice, very nice reception that he had for minus four plus 13. Um, I wouldn't say he, he forced any missed tackles on the play, but it did look like he made a very nice cut to get around the first potential defender. Right. Yeah. You, that, that's exactly right. He made one defender miss and um, you, you could see a little bit of that speed. And if he could have made, I think he had another defender to that just, he couldn't get by and for a really big play, but it was good to see him out there. And hopefully they, this is the start of uh, more plays to come because yeah. his speed can really manipulate an off a defense. Yeah, he's he's going to be one of the very key Ravens in 2024, and I don't think there's any reason why he shouldn't be a very key Raven the rest of this year. I'm just so thankful they didn't try and play the practice squad game with him because he'd have been lost like that. Uh, he'd had a big sure, preseason, absolutely. and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, let's see. 
other things. Edwards, good game for Edwards. And obviously the pass alone would make it a hell of a game with an 80-yard reception. That was his only target there. But he also rushed 14 for 64, had some really nice runs in this game. In fact, the Ravens had one uh, streak. I think it was early in the second half where they had, yeah, run for nine, run for 20, run for 27 in a in a three-play series. I turned to Maureen at that point. And I said, you know, if if I were a Lions fan, I'd be like pulling my hair out from from that happening uh, on on three straight plays. But one of the things I, I I just can't stand is when teams are leaking. You know, when when my own team is leaking versus the run, and they just can't figure out how to get it fixed. Yeah, absolutely. Like um, it, the run game was a, a little slow starting. Uh, they were they were having a little trouble uh, at the beginning. Boy, that. Uh, that defender bugs up up mm-hmm. in the middle. That is a that's a big boy right there, and he, he was plugging up some holes uh, pretty effectively. But I think as the game wore on, as the Ravens were just using so much of their speed that was just wearing them down, um, that Edwards became that 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 hammer and just started uh, running through some tackles and breaking off some good runs. So it was good to see that him kind of closing out games you know, hammering, hammering down on some nice runs there. Yeah. And uh, I wish that it actually led to some, some truly ex- extended drives in the second half. And they, they, you know, they showed a little bit of life there. They had a nice uh, drive to get uh, their 35th point. That was, I think that was early in the third quarter. They, they got the extra touchdown and then they had a nice, a nice drive for a field goal, which was kind of like a nice response after Detroit pulled it within 35 to seven. So, you killed off five minutes o'clock, basically drove down the field, got a field goal. And that was their really last offensive life. I think they only had one more. They might only had one more drive after that because there's about nine minutes left. And Detroit had two fairly long drives, one immediately after that. And then, and then another after the Ravens had their three play drive with Tyler Huntley, where they uh, pretty much ran out the clock on themselves for the last nine minutes. Right. Yeah, exactly. So Edwards in there um, in 30 snaps and, and got the ball 15 times, 15 touches, 14 on the ground and, and one through the air. Hill on 30 snaps only got the ball five out of 30 times. Now that is kind of the nature of being a passing down running back is you don't usually get the ball nearly as often. Um, and and he, he, you know most of his touches were still the run. He only got one um Target, I believe, is on the first play of the game for a one yard, one or two yard pass, right? The one of the off to the right, I'm thinking of. That yeah. was Hill, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, you know, not uh, Hill was certainly very dangerous in this game, but uh, but didn't get a lot of touches, uh, unfortunately. And, and, and in particular, that was true after the fumble. Um, what else did I want to talk about here? Edwards had a couple of missed tackles forced. Uh, the, the PFF has him for a Yakko yards after contact of 3.14, which is you know relatively small sample size in, in 14 plays, but is certainly headed back in the right direction. And, and Gus was at 2.30 last week. Um, that's much too low for Gus. And I think that, that most of that, when Gus is really going well in terms of yards after contact, it's because his first contact is coming in level two. And level two players are not the right size, generally speaking, to tackle Gus Edwards. Even linebackers are just an even matchup. But safeties and and corners have a really hard time not dragging him down over the course of several yards. 
he runs through contact very well. Um, and especially uh, when, what, yes, exactly like he's saying, once he gets through uh, that first level into the second level, an arm tackle isn't going to bring him down. You, you really have to put your body in, uh, wrap up with him because once he's kind of gets his feet going and gets that acceleration and that burst uh, through there, he's, he's very tough to bring down and he's very strong and arm tackles just aren't going to do it. So mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Leaves a leg in the way that they always used to talk about Jim Brown. But if, if you think back to why the Roman offense was so successful, um, they had a great misdirection to spread the field horizontally. But if you know the other team's running, you still should have a good chance to stop it. But the point of attack component of, of Roman's offense combined with what Lamar threatened to do on every single play um, was absolutely tremendous. And so they would they would you know have a guard on the move almost every play, oftentimes have two. In fact, now it's become the staple of the offense that basically you're always pulling two players at the same time. So it's almost all, never one. And mm-hmm. when they do it, um, that creates huge point of attack opportunities. You have Ricard as well. And if you look at Edwards' yards per carry being you know, one of the highest of all time, it's largely because they were able to pierce the line of scrimmage. Defensive tackles and defensive ends have much lower missed tackle rates than uh, linebackers and safeties and cornerbacks. And, and getting Edwards into that second level and getting the opportunity was really all the difference in the world between – where he is this year at, I think, 4.0 yards per carry and where he was career coming into this year, which is you know 5.3, 5.4, whatever. No, I think it's 5.3-ish, we'll call it, um, for his career. That's really the difference right there. And and I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I think it's going to be very hard for him to get back to that level. And I think you might – you and I might have even talked about Edwards in the offseason in the right. two-player series, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we talked about a little bit of regression, and we both talked about, yeah, the running backs are, you know, not going to have – yeah, uh, J.K. was averaging almost six yards a carry for his career, and Gus is well over five. And it's just a natural regression just on, you know, by, by sheer force of – changing changing the offense a little bit but yeah Mm. i i have really liked how much ricard has stayed a component of the offense um where are you on picking up his contract for next year at this point at four million um i don't think any team is going to pay him four million dollars so i think just there's just very few teams that even use a fullback so um, his, his value is probably more for the to the Ravens than it is for, you know, probably twenty eight or twenty seven other teams. So, I I think you could probably come to him and say, hey, we'd love to have you back, but we can't have you back at four. Maybe we could have you back at two, two and a half, something like that, and get a little cap relief that way. Um, and you know, hopefully, hopefully he accepts it. I'm sure his agent will test the mark, test the waters, and see mm-hmm. what he could get, and see if that's it. But yeah, um, it, it it'd be great to have him back, but it, yeah, not not at four. I think okay. you, you you know you you have Kolar, and you have likely that you really want to see and figure out what they can do on the in the offense as well. And yeah, you 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 want to try to cater to that as well. Yeah, they have used him as a tight end some this year. Now, obviously, they picked up Eric Tomlinson because they 
I think, because he's Ricard insurance. And they're always a little bit unsure about Ricard's health with the hip injuries he's had. Um, and I, I guess I'm, I'm going to go back to the contract situation for a second and say, I think you can make an argument right now to extend Ricard is that not only it, you know has he proven to be very valuable within this offense, that Monken seems to understand how to use him and whatnot, but um, I'm, maybe I don't want to pay him $4 million next year, but maybe I'm willing to pay him $5.8 million over two years or $6.2 million over two years and have some of that go out into 25, get a little 24 cap relief out of it. Now, they're going to they're gonna play that game a lot anyway because they've got so much void year crap running off. Um, after 23 that's going to hit them in the 24 cap that they're going to need to play some more games to to extend. So it's not like finding a couple dollars of extension is really that valuable. What's really valuable is finding a, a good player at a cheaper than than uh, market price. And or, or yeah, at a cheaper than market price or a cheaper than than value within your system price. Let's say let's say that at least. I would love to see if they could extend extend Ricard. And I, I wouldn't even be upset if it was for um, 24, 25, and 26 that they agreed to a contract. Again, I think that there is a chance you end up holding the old maid at the end of Ricard's career, meaning you have a year that doesn't get played, but um, but it's also possible that that he plays those years and is a hell of a player still. Yeah, um, I think the the one thing that you worry about is how how old is he? Is he tw- is he twenty nine now? Or I'll look it up. But yeah. but what the the point being that that you, yeah. you think it's a, a higher possibility that he'd be uh, at the end of his playing career? Yeah, is- yeah. Like, uh, um, I mean, certainly a t- a two year uh, extension might be in the cards. Um, and you kind of do the. I call it the Marshall Yonder thing where you yeah, extend him that. once a, once a year, every year until he decides to retire. But um, I mean, yeah, he's, he's 29 now. So yeah. it's, you, 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 I don't, I don't know necessarily know if you want to extend a fullback three years, but you know, maybe, maybe 24 and possibly 25. And as that's as far as I'd probably want to go though. Okay. I, uh, I I I can see your hesitancy. I think there have been some fullbacks who've lasted a little longer in this league. And when you look at uh, Neil and Leach, who played for the Ravens specifically, Sam Gash, I think as well, might have been a guy who lasted into his 30s, um, were, were fullbacks for the Ravens that lasted a long time and they were happy to have at those ages. But it, you, you do increase the chance. I, d- I don't want to go on a two-to-one, make one treadmill with him. I want to figure out how long he's likely to play and try and get those years out of him as opposed to overpaying in some sort of signing bonus. And then you, you don't end up paying 4 million for the season. You end up paying 5 million and he can't pay the next one. You know, kind right. of so whatever, whatever is done for Ricard, it's got to be at a low bonus level. You know, it's got to be something where most of his money is coming from Royal Farms and not from the Baltimore Ravens. I don't know if that's true, by the way, I don't know what kind of money he makes from that, but he probably does pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Okay. Uh, the other thing about Ricard, very exciting in, in this game, was that 28-yard catch. And I immediately saw it and I said, that's one of the longest catches by a fullback in Ravens history. Because I know Muhaley had one of 30 yards that stood as the record for a long time until Kyle Juszczyk had, I believe, either three or four total catches that were in the 30s. And so there, there, were, there were no other higher. So this was probably number five, I think it was, in Ravens history. And then 
somebody else I came up with a question. I don't think it was, I don't think I thought of this myself, like, cause I'm not that creative, but somebody, somebody came up with it in Twitter and said, well, how about a 300 pound man? And you can't really look that up directly in stat head, which is a little frustrating to me, but somebody else found up a way to look at for game totals by pound. And they, they actually found that Ty Sambrello once had, um, it was a name I kind of remembered, but I didn't remember exactly who he was, but he played for the Falcons and was a, was an enormous player who I think he might've been a converted lineman slash tight end kind of guy. But anyway, he got free for a, a 35 yard touchdown in one game at Tampa. And immediately somebody had the video up there on, on online. So it's great. You've got this, this army of researchers out there on Twitter, able to, to, to quickly get you the information on that. But I believe, Ricard's catch, which he came out and 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 said was the longest of his career, um, is the second longest ever by a 300 pound man based on the available game stats. There's only been of 300 pound men. There's only been a handful of players. The list is dominated by Ricard, who've ever had 28 yards receiving in a game total. Oh, it's sure. Like, yeah, it's like yeah. four or something have had that. And the 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 players who had 20 like 20 or more is dominated by like four different Patrick Ricard games already. So <laughs> Yeah, so I I think Patrick Ricard will go down probably is the the biggest uh deep threat for a three hundred pound man uh in F- NFL history. Um just you, you don't even see those guys going out for passes unless it's around the the you know inside the five yard line anyway. But yeah, like it it, it is cool that he's you know so big and he's able to you know just get out in the flat sometimes and run over, run over a safety or something like that. But right. yeah, when he saw, when he saw all that wide open grass in front of him, I know he his eyes were wide open that whole time. And I was, I'm, I'm, you know, a big guy myself. So I'm cheering for the big man to get that, get a 50 yard touchdown there. I was, I was, I was upset that he got tackled finally, but yeah. There, there are a lot of us out there who, who like to see it happen anyway, regardless of whether we're, we're, our size category is exactly, but uh, uh, Ricard actually run a number of routes this year that have been much more um, imaginative and varied than we'll say varied, not imaginative. Cause I think people could imagine Ricard running these routes and they just couldn't see it succeeding. But with Monken, he's had, you know, some crossers that have been over the middle of the field at, you know, what, six or eight yards of depth. That's, you know, that's really deep for a player like him. I think of it as, mm-hmm. Vontae Leach and him were pretty much 100% flat routes when when they were with the Ravens. And they would occasionally get the ball. If you remember the very first play of Super Bowl 47, they ran some sort of little eight-yard hitch to Vontae Leach. And it was by far the deepest he'd ever been in a pattern for the Ravens. <laughs> by far. And, and you know, it's a, it's a kind of play, you, you know, that's a... a perfect kind of scripted play you have two weeks to work on it and the 49ers are not thinking about how they would stop such a play so it's a great option to, to toss in in the Super Bowl on the first play but um it's, it's a uh, <laughs> it, it's just is not frequently done it's almost 100% flat routes but Ricard has been more than that this year and it wouldn't surprise me if we saw another big play or two from him this year and when I say big play I mean like 10 10 to 20 yards yeah I I would say Ricard is a great decoy running a running across or about six yards because any linebacker is doing a double take when they see that <laughs> big guy coming across the field like that. He's 
he, he's getting out of his way because <laughs> he doesn't want to get earholed by a guy like that, even by accident. Well, you know, th- then that raises a question is, is there some use for Ricard as a rub or pick guy on such routes? I mean, most, you know, most rubs and picks, I would say, occur within a short distance of the line of scrimmage out of bunch formations or out of too tightly um, uh, set receivers who who are close, you know, uh, tightly set. You know what that means. So I know you know what it means, but but other people <laughs> know what that means. And, and and then they cross, and you know, you try and and rub off one of the coverage guys or force him to bubble out so that you get a you, you get a better opportunity for an open throw to that player. But the occasionally you have a crossers from opposite sides of the field that will try and create a rub. And the classic play, Jeremy Macklin's touchdown, very first play of the 2018 season at Cincinnati. They beat him, actually 2017. They beat him 20 to nothing. And um, Watson and he cross in the middle of the field. Watson completely rubs out the opposing player who has to completely, I think he almost had to stop basically. And he didn't even, he wasn't even in a position to bubble around him. And then Macklin caught the ball and was, was long gone. I'm wondering if, if a player like Patrick Ricard doesn't bring additional value to that, or possibly it's just, it's just, it's too hard to time that up with somebody coming off the line of scrimmage on the other side. I think part of it is timing. I think the other part is a referee sees that big guy running a rub route and they're, they're like, no, you're not even going to, you, you can't even try to get away with this. We yeah. we know exactly what you're doing. It's too obvious. And they throw an OPI on that. So I, I think maybe that's the worry of that. But <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's some part of me says, as long as he's kind of raising his left hand, I say, as he starts on the right side of the field, as long as he's raising his left hand and heading further down the field, it's he's almost like creating a statue of liberty that somebody has to run around literally that size yeah. to, uh, to do that. But it'd be fun to see. It, it would be fun to see. Usually, the, yeah, the 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 thing they always say the players who are announcing the games is that they if as long as they look like they're trying to catch the football, you're pretty much okay. I don't know if that really holds, but yeah, they they say that about you know two hundred pound men, not there you <laughs> go two two ninety three hundred pound men. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think we talked a little bit early about how Duvernay, Likely, and Kolar are completely out of the offense. Zero targets and 41 combined snaps in this game. Uh, mm-hmm. Despite the fact the bench got cleared, they couldn't find a target for these guys. Uh, Duvernay maybe doesn't need a target because he's still at least getting a, you know some snaps, and he's, he's certainly getting the receiving game. But, boy, Likely and Kolar in that tight end room, I don't imagine they're particularly happy with what's going on. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. I'm I'm I'm... I think I'm most disappointed about uh, likely not being able to get more involved in the passing game. Like I I really think he showed an ability to be a good threat um, last year as a rookie. And, you know, they used him a little bit at the beginning of the season and then he had that big drop. And it's since then, it's just been um, just absolutely nothing. Um, on the third down before Lamar's uh, fourth down touchdown run, it, it looked like a part of the partially a broken play. I'm not sure exactly who, but he had likely wide open on a very short curl. It was third and one play and it, he ran like a four yard curl and Lamar had it to him and he looked at him. I was, and I just, in my head, I was like, throw it, throw it to him. And he, <laughs> and he held on to it and, and, you know, it, 
fortunately it didn't stall the driver or anything, but I, 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 wor- I worry about a little trust factor. Maybe he's lost yeah. a little trust in Lamar, but he he's too good of a player to, um, to totally give up on. And he, and hopefully he's shown something in practice and, uh, you know, to get him back in good graces and get him more involved in the game. You know, practice w- would be nice. One other thing, Odell Beckham's not going to be on the team next year. I, I certainly don't see any reason why that would be true. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Likely should really be raising his hand if there's any opportunity to practice with Lamar in the offseason. Uh, that's obviously worked wonders for Flowers. Not that Flowers wouldn't have been a, a fairly obvious number one target, but I think it's accelerated his, um, you know, multiple layers of integration into this offense, uh, his relationship with Lamar. So it'd be nice to see if likely could pick up on that. And it may be that, Hey, every receiver is already raising their hands. And Lamar says, look, I only want to work with two guys. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm only going to make, you know, 50 throws in a day. I don't want to, you know, wear my arm out. And so I, it doesn't make sense for 80 to show up if you're each going to catch six balls kind of thing. Um, so there, there may be some of that going on, but, uh, uh, it, it, it also could be, I imagine most of what they do together is, you know, maybe an hour and a half on the field and then a lot of time playing together, going out to drink or or, or playing video games or whatever it might be. And they don't do um, a lot of film study. That would just be my impression. Um, that doesn't mean that they couldn't. And, you know, if it were Ray Lewis or Ed Reed, they might get together for for, for uh, film study just very naturally to figure out, hey, what mm-hmm. could work better or you know what would work better. Um, it kind of takes one extremely mature player, I think, to do that. So Beckham could have brought that to the group, but I, I, I just get the impression that that's probably not his role there. His role is probably to try and, more than anything, to make friends with Lamar and, and to try and be a, a, a you know a, a go-to receiver that way. Sure, yeah. Team building is important. Yeah. Yeah. Build trust. Anyway, the Lions, we talked about them using a lot of extra rushers. The Ravens used 23 total eligible receivers to block, 12 sets and 11 chips. That's .82 per play. That's quite high. That means they effectively reduced themselves from five full-service receivers per play to 4.18 full-service receivers per play. So that's a big sacrifice. Um, in part, that's because when you when they rush five-plus, Oftentimes, the running back will have a responsibility to check for that blitz before he releases to go into the pattern. Right. Yep. All right. You, you were never a, a, a blitzer from off ball, were you? Always a lineman, right? <laughs> no, always a lineman. Yeah. Right. Very good. <laughs> Not trying to make fun of you. I just really actually wondered there. Um, uh, they use the unbalanced line once in this game, a five unbalanced. They also use a six man line one time with Cleveland in there as the, as the extra guy. Um, I don't know if you noticed this, but the unbalanced line they ran, it was down. Yeah. It was near the goal line because it was on the touchdown run by Edwards. Gus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they, they ran a unbalanced right line and within it, between Stanley and Moses on the right side, they had likely lined up notched back. I've only seen the Ravens run that play one other time. It was with Max Williams in a game against Pittsburgh where they actually used Williams as a receiver on the play. Mm-hmm. And I know I remember Sterator kind of whining about it and saying, well, I kind of think it's a foul, but, but uh, uh, you know, it was, it, uh, that's the kind of play 
they don't just run that in a vacuum. They actually meet with the officials ahead of time. They show them, hey, here's what we're going to do. He's going to be lined up here, off ball by a half yard offset. And he might be a receiver. He might not. But we've run this play successfully before. We want you guys to know about it before you, you know, you get confused by it and, and, and don't call it correctly. But it's only the guys on the line of scrimmage. Correct. Who, who you have to have seven, and the two outer guys are not eligible. I sorry, are eligible. Yeah, exactly. So, um, they're they're setting somebody up for a pass play in that set. But yeah, I think uh, show, show the run here. They'll, they'll set somebody else up for this pass later in the season. Yeah. Well, it was, it was interesting because that was a potential scriptation to uh, scripting to to uh, likely in terms of, of having him in that slot. And, you know, they're asking him to fill a role, whatever it might be. And great. Hopefully he's a good sport a, a, about it, but that is a possibility. And and honestly, if it was a pass, it wouldn't shock me to see if Mark Andrews is in that spot. And also I think it would be tremendously more deceptive or directingly deceptive to have Andrews in that spot. If you want to go somewhere else with the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come back in, in a few minutes for part two here, but, uh, Brandon, where can people talk football with you online? Sure. Um, on, uh, Twitter slash X at Brandon Croxton five, uh, love to talk Ravens, love to talk football. Welcome all comments. You're, you're a Gilman football guy. I'm a McDonough yep. kid, but, uh, but you were a, a, a Gilman football player and, uh, and your wife is a McDonough chick right yes yep she works at mcdonough and mm-hmm. i have a daughter that's in first grade at mcdonough too so okay. we have a divided household my son goes to gilman and yeah so we're we're looking forward to uh november 4th um for the gilman mcdonough game although y'all might have the advantage but you know we'll we'll make it a good game and it'll be a fun day all right always a always a big occasion there and uh uh, a big rivalry in the Baltimore area. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be in a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. You know the the, the rules by now. I've gotten all kinds of great ideas for shorts over the last few days. And uh, really loving, loving it, the, the, the amount of participation out there. Try and keep your idea a little bit smaller than here's how you rebuild the entire Ravens organization that that's too much of a of a topic for for a short we're looking at something you know something specific or schematic that can be talked about in 15 to 20 minutes uh, ideally and offer a shorter content to some listeners out there who are otherwise intimidated by these one hour episodes where we uh, go into a lot of stuff but uh, anyway I'd love to hear from you I'll get back to you very quickly Brandon thanks again for joining me thank you always we'll fun. talk we'll talk to you next time on film study For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.